France is a culture that encourages us in the most provocative ways to do everything in our power to try and satisfy appetites that can never be fully and finally satisfied. These are evil days. Gone are the days when you had to go looking for trouble. Trouble's on every street corner, on every page of just about every magazine. Trouble is dripping from every billboard. Trouble drives across our television screens and calls to us from our computers. Zero percent financing, no payments until 2012. The titles of the movies you select will not be listed on your bill. Buy one, get one free. Mortgage rates have never been lower. Try it for 30 days, risk-free. Girls gone wild. Most Americans are overweight and over-leveraged. We eat too much and spend too much. By far, the biggest online moneymaker is pornography. Consider this. American men spend hundreds of millions of dollars every year just to look at pictures of women on their computer screens. We do not live in a morally neutral environment. The world we live in is much like the grassy area outside my basement door where I let my black lab shadow out to do her business every night. If you're not careful how you walk, you're going to step in it. That's a little gross, but you get the point. Like the Ephesians in Paul's day, we live in a morally and ethically perilous day. The days are evil, and if you don't pay attention, you'll end up paying a price for your carelessness. If you aren't intentionally cautious, you may end up unintentionally corralled by some vice you've always condemned. If you don't filter your choices through the best question ever, you will find yourself face to face with consequences that could have been and should have been avoided. It's a great read, a simple read. You could probably sit down and do it in one reading or maybe two, but don't let these moments pass you by. Leaders are readers. And you say, well, I don't like to read. You know, Dr. Summerall taught me, you feed your children what you want them to love. If you eat enough of your wife's cooking, you'll start liking it. <laughs> Amen. It's on back order, but you can order one. We'll get them in. Hallelujah. Everybody say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The Lord gave me a word for somebody this morning. And this is what he said. He said, tell them to stop drinking out of broken cisterns and being frustrated when they go to dip in their cup and find no water. But tell them this, that the well of their salvation is flowing freely with all they need. And come back to the well of your salvation. Because you've been living in this world, searching and seeking. And yes, even in the church, you've used it as a cistern. But those things will not hold the refreshment that you've been looking for. And so I say to you today, come back to the well of your salvation. Redig your father's wells and find the nourishment and refreshment that you've been seeking. The Lord gave me another word. He said this. He said, tell those who have been living in a narrow way to get in a different position. He said, tell them this. Those that have been looking at the promised land through the eyes of Sodom and Gomorrah and thinking that that is all there is. Tell them to get there like Abraham up on the mount, like Moses up on a high place to be able to see the east from the west and the north from the south. Some of us have been serving God. Some of us have been living in the kingdom with a narrow view of who Jesus is. You've not seen him big enough and you've not seen the church powerful enough. You've only seen it through your own past experiences, your traditions, and your religious lens. The Holy Spirit told me to tell you to take off your religious lens and get in a position on the mount so that you can see the vast and the bigness of God's kingdom. Right. told me to tell you that. He also said there's a word for somebody here this morning that has been struggling. You've been struggling with your own personal agenda. You've been struggling between what God has told you to do and what you know God wants you to do and with what you want to do. It has become evident that there is a fight within you and you have been warring over this and are about to give up on God. You even this week have said, you know what? I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. I believe that it's time for me just to give in to all the desires of my own life because I've not found satisfaction in God. 
I want you to know today that there is a power available to you to break that spirit and that mentality off of you. This may be your last opportunity to make the right decisions for God. You're here this morning with the intent that this might have even been your last Sunday attending this church. But God said, no, because I've got a plan for you and I'm not going to let you go. So I speak that word today to bring liberty and freedom over your life. So right now, I just want to pray a general prayer. If any of those words have just resonated in your heart, or you feel like, yeah, that's me. I've got to see God in a bigger place. Or yeah, that's me. I've got to break this spirit. Or yeah, I've got to get out of the drinking from a cistern. And I need to get to the wells of my salvation. I just want you to stand right now. Because I want to pray a prayer of of deliverance and, and power over your life. Father God, right now, I thank you, Father, that the word of the Lord comes forth. And the word of the Lord, one word, can change our life forever. And I thank you, God, that no matter who it is and what they've been going through and what their circumstances are, you are changing the perspective. You are changing the lenses that they've been looking through. You are giving them a much bigger picture of what the kingdom is all about. And so now, God, we bind forces. We bind powers and principalities of the air that have tried to seduce your people into thinking that they are too small too uneducated, too little, but God, that they are mighty in the spirit. So Father, we break this mentality and perception off of them and release them now into a place of victory. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Amen. You can be seated, praise the Lord. Get your Bible out, let's go to Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. Thank you, Lord God. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you will keep him in perfect peace. Let's read that together. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Can we read it again? A little more volume. Ready? Let's read it. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Did you know that you have a covenant this morning? You have a covenant of peace. That means shalom. That means wholeness. That means nothing missing and nothing broken. When you came to Jesus Christ, you gave God all your strife. And he gave you all of his peace. So this morning, if you are walking in strife, or you're walking in confusion, or you're beginning to experience brokenness all around your life, You and I must rise up and we must declare, you know what, God, you gave us a covenant of peace. And so therefore, I'm going to fix my mind on you and I'm going to trust in you. And he didn't say, I'm only going to give you peace. He said, I'm going to give you perfect peace. Everybody say perfect peace, perfect peace, man. I'm talking about perfect peace. You know, it's not enough just to know something about a matter. It's not enough just to know a little bit about a matter. You have to know enough about that situation in order to pass. For example, when I was 15 years old, I thought I knew how to drive. So I thought I could go right down to the Bureau of Motor Vehicles, jump in there with the state trooper, drive my test and pass, take the written test, not a problem. How hard could it be? I knew some things about driving, but how many know I didn't know enough about driving? And the first time I took the driver's test, the the, the written exam, I didn't score enough to pass. Now see, there's a lot of people in the kingdom of God who know enough about driving, but you don't know enough in order to pass. And so we get confused. We think, well, I know the Bible and I know God and I know about peace and I know about healing and I know about victory. But you know what? You may not know enough about it. So we have to understand that when you know peace or know God, you will know peace. But if you have no peace, no God, you'll never have any peace. You've probably seen that before. You see, failing an exam doesn't mean you don't know enough It doesn't know anything, but you just don't know enough. I want to make this declaration to you today. Say this with me. Miracles Miracles are not myths. myths. Neither are they magic. They are are birthed from position. position. So you see, miracles aren't something you could abracadabra up. 
You can't lather them up. You can't anoint them up. You can't sing them up. They are from position. So you and I can operate in miracles, healings, signs and wonders from a position of peace. As long as we are operating in anxiety, we are disconnected from God. When God's given us a covenant of peace, we can operate from that position. Someone said this, foolish men believe in luck, but wise men believe in cause and effect. Foolish men believe in luck, but wise men believe in cause and effect. Someone else said this, peace is a possession, not a psychological state. Now we have to learn this, church. It's not a psychological condition. Peace is a position. I stand in peace, even if my mind is going crazy. I don't have to have a peaceable mind in order to be in peace. But a lot of times Christians say, well, I just feel so much peace about this. Because they finally reached a psychological position of peace. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's God's peace. Because you can have God's peace when you're about to break down. It is a position and not a psychological state. Peace is a spiritual virtue. It is a spiritual virtue. That's why we read in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is peace. It is a spiritual virtue. And there are so many benefits of operating in your covenant of peace. I believe that knowledge will birth peace. Let me say that again. Knowledge will birth peace. So really... If we're struggling in a situation, maybe you're a lot like me when I took my first written exam and didn't know enough to pass. I knew enough to take the test, but I didn't know enough to pass. And some of us this morning are walking with God and there's such turmoil and we're experiencing such confusion. You see, we have just enough knowledge about God, but we don't have enough to be able to Get to the position of peace. Let me illustrate this with a little story. A man writes, in my late 20s, a bunch of my friends and I decided to sail around the world. I have to admit, though, at the time, I was a bit worried. I hadn't ever sailed before. I was uneasy and I was anxious. So I spent a lot of time reading my Bible and praying about it. Until it dawned on me that God was whispering, Tim, I'll give you peace if you read some books on sailing. The reason you're anxious is not due to lack of prayer, but to your lack of sailing knowledge. I wasn't unprayerful, I was unskilled. So I took a step I needed to take to let God work his peace in my heart. And I began reading about sailing. Again, ladies and gentlemen, knowledge births peace. If the devil can keep you ignorant enough about healing, prosperity, sound relationships, doesn't matter what area, you know enough about it, but you, don't, you know some about it, but you don't know enough about it to pass the test then you can never reach the position of peace. But if your skill in sailing, it doesn't matter what storm will arise because you now know what to do in order to be able to meet the challenges of that adversity. And so it is in the kingdom of God. The peace of God is available for us today, but it's not available to those who are unskilled in sailing. And you can pray all you want about God giving you peace when he said knowledge births peace. Peace of God sets the pace for divine intervention. 
Romans chapter 3 and verse 17. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 17 that peace is a way. He said that the way of peace they've not known. God wants us to know the way of peace. And therefore, whatever I might be struggling in, you may be having marital strife today. If you're having marital strife, the way to find peace in your marriage is not to pray that God fix your husband. The way to do it is to get a book on how to have a good marriage and be a godly Christian wife. You say, wait a minute, I'm not going to do that. He's the one that's causing all the problems. But see, like Tim, who determined with his friends he was going to sail the world, and he began to get anxious about it and get worried about it. And so he began to pray, oh God, help me because I'm about to embark around the world. I've never sailed before. God said, stop praying. Go get a book on sailing. Get some knowledge and you'll have peace. So you don't want to keep coming to the prayer line asking the altar minister to pray for you that you'll have peace in the midst of your storm. Why don't you go to the Bible and learn how to batten down the hatches? Why don't you learn how to lighten the load and keep your boat afloat? Yeah, I just don't want to have enough knowledge to be able to get a 30% on my test. I remember in school when that happened, 44% or 64%, there'd be a big red circle around my number. My teachers pass out the papers, you know. As soon as it lands on my desk and I saw the 44%, I kind of like turned it over because I didn't want anybody else to see that I had failed the test. But it was a stark reminder because my teacher would say to me, Hey, Louie, didn't you study? You see, it was evident to her that I knew enough to fail, but I didn't know enough to master what I was facing. And so in the body of Christ, we have a lot of 44 percentiles. 64 percentiles. You know enough to come to church, but haven't you all studied? You get what I'm saying? Peace is formed from the position of knowledge. The more I know that my God shall supply all my need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus, that when I'm facing a storm of financial despair, I'm able to stand in the midst of the storm and say, Peace be still. Because I know my God's not going to fail me. Because I have knowledge. So the benefits of peace. Exodus 14 and 14 said, The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Oh, come on, look at somebody and say, hold your peace. What does that mean? It means that if you can get to the place of peace in the battle, God will take care of the war. You and I are just called to hold on to peace. God will do the fighting for us. It's a choice that we have to make. Colossians 3 and 15 says this, let peace rule. Not your circumstances. No, no, no. Let peace rule. So I'm going to hold on to peace. See, the key to conquering conflict is getting a word of knowledge. If I get a word of knowledge that God is going to meet my need, then in the middle of my lack, I've got peace. Because I've got a word that I'm holding on to. I'm holding on to knowledge. I'm holding on to the peace of God. Now God has to battle the lack. Here's the problem. We know enough that God is supposed to meet our need. But in the middle of our struggle financially, we want to start duking it out with poverty. And God said, no, 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 drop your dukes, hold on to peace, I'll battle the lack. That's why we've got to become skilled 
in our knowledge. We have to become students of the word. So whatever's causing confusion, whatever's bringing strife, whatever's bringing an upheaval in my life, I've got to get enough knowledge on it so I can have confidence in the middle of the test that I'm going to get 100% when the papers come back. Because if I can hold on to peace, God will do my battling for me. You see, everything that comes from God requires that you be in the anxiety-free zone. Say that with me. Anxiety-free zone. Now, this is important because once you get knowledge and you have your position of peace, you got to be careful because people will come into your life who will try to talk you out of your peace. I tell you right now, my Uncle Jed, he, he died of what you've just been diagnosed of. Yeah, my good friend Bill at work, they tried doing that marriage counseling too and they ended up divorced. You'll probably end up the same way. See, you've got to be careful that when you get the word from God, watch, you get the word from God that brings knowledge and puts you in a position of peace, that you enter into the anxiety why? Because you can't let anybody else into that zone. So when they start coming into your life, you've got to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me see your past. There are some people permitted beyond the door. There are other people that are not. Now I'll guarantee you, if you went to go see President Obama, and he was in an auditorium, and there were 100,000 people there, and you were sitting up in the nosebleed section, and you decided you're going to go to the back room and shake his hand before he came out on the platform. So you walked down the steps, through the security, and even if you got to the door where he was uh, waiting, how many know you would not get past the door without a security clearance? You could go to a rock concert. And say, I want, I'm your groupie, baby. I'm your groupie. I, I want to touch you. I want to see you. I want to give you myself as a gift. Can I come back and just bless you? <laughs> and unless you have a security pass, you're not getting by the big hawks with black t-shirts that says security on it. And if we'll guard a, a, a leader... Like a president, if we'll guard a rock band, how much more should you set up a perimeter around your peace that you got from God and don't let anybody in who doesn't have a security clearance? Say amen. amen. Look at somebody say amen. amen. All right. Now look at the scripture with me. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 10. First Samuel chapter 1 verse 10. How many have ever read the story of Hannah coming to the temple? Let me see your hand. Good. All of you know about it. Here it goes. And she was in what? Bitterness of soul. And prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. That's... That's pretty much the church today. Now I'm not trying to demoralize anybody here, but the fact is most of us are like bitter in soul, praying God to do something with my kids. But you have never been to a seminar on how to relate to a 13-year-old. You don't know any of the psychological and physiological changes that they're going through. You can't identify one characteristic of a 13-year-old's uh, uh, challenges, yet you're up here going, God, do something with this baby before I kill it. <laughs> and we're in anguish, and we're weeping, and we're crying out to God. Hannah wanted a baby, and she couldn't have a baby. And everybody in her life was dogging her out about not being able to have a baby, especially the other woman. How many of you men are glad 
We don't have multiple wives today. Some of you say, well, I don't know. I kind of like No, you don't like that. Shut up. You don't like that. You don't want that. One woman is enough for you. Women can be catty. You put more than woman, one woman in a kitchen, you got trouble. And Hannah's other woman was dogging her out. Oh, look at me, I got all these babies and you don't have any babies. Ha ha, you can't get pregnant, but I got, I'm giving the husband all the children. You can't give him anything. She was in anguish. She didn't set up an anxiety free zone. So her anguish became deeper. Are you following me? All right, what happened then? Verse 17, read it with me. Then Eli answered and said, Something changed for Hannah. She got a word from God. And when she got the word from God, the peace of God came to her. And she went her way rejoicing. She stopped fasting, praying, being all religious. Time we wear God out. I'm glad I'm not God. Can you imagine having to listen to some of the whining and crying going on every day? Oh God! Oh God! Oh God! Help me, God! Like what in the world? Give me some Excedrin, man. Oh Lord! Aren't you glad you're not God? She gets a word. That this time next year you're going to have a baby. She had no evidence that she would. Didn't feel pregnant. Didn't look pregnant. Didn't walk pregnant. You know how pregnant women walk. You know, she didn't have any identity of that. No morning sickness. Yeah, that hourglass figure still looking good. But she went away rejoicing. Why? Because she had something greater than physical evidence. She had a word from God that said she was about to have a baby. She entered into the anxiety-free zone. Now, did that change the other woman's perspective of her? No. Did that change her husband's perspective? No. How about all the people in the neighborhood? How about all the friends? How about all the church folks that she goes to church with? No. Didn't change anything. They still saw Hannah as a woman who couldn't birth a child. But she had something inside of her that says, Oh, i got to hold on to peace and let God do the battle. And suddenly, she birthed Samuel. Look at Isaiah chapter 32, ladies and gentlemen, verse 17. And 18, the work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness, quiet and assurance forever. My people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings and in quiet resting places. Did you know that was a promise of God's word to us? So when I'm going through struggles, I'm going through trial, I'm going through trouble. I said, wait a minute. My people, I'm that God, I'm your people, (laughs) will dwell in a peaceful habitation. This isn't peaceful. Something's wrong here. I have a covenant of peace and a secure dwellings and in quietness and resting places. That's the promise of my God. So what do I do? I've got to learn when that's not happening how to make peace. Everybody say "Make make peace. Did you know you can make peace? The day you were born again, you received the peace of God. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And when you got born again, Jesus coming into your life, you got the King of Salem. You got the King of Peace. The Prince of Peace. You know, this world doesn't know anything about peace. 
I, I studied a little bit. I found back in about 8,000 years of history or some crazy thing, 6,000 years of history, only 200 years or so of recorded peace on the earth in all that time. There's always been wars and conflicts. This world only knows conflict. It only knows war. It only knows strife. This culture has been formed around confusion. And around a spirit of greed and hate. It's, it's just, it's, it's what the environment is of this world. That's why Jesus said, my peace I give you. My peace I leave you. Not as the world gives, because they don't have what I have to give you. That's why you've got to stop looking for peace or fulfillment in the things of this earth. You think, well, I'm going to get peace if I could just get me some of that. If I could just buy this. If I could just own that. If I could just go there. If I could just do this. I'm going to have peace. Let me save you lots of money and time. It won't change a thing. Like buying your first motorcycle. You want to get a Honda 90cc. And a little moped. When I first met Tina, she had a moped. And uh, she looked real cute driving this moped, moped around Putin Bay. And uh, we got talking and got kind of being boyfriend and girlfriend. She said, you want to go for a ride on my moped? I said, sure. <laughs> Let's go for a ride. So here I am, six foot four, you know. And I'm hopping on the back. She's driving. And I'm hopping on the back. My knees are all up in the air. And we're driving around Putin Bay. Everybody's looking at us like... Man, look at that guy. Look at that big old guy on the back of that moped. What's he? I said, that's all right. Don't worry. Look what's driving the moped, baby. But after a while, it's like, this isn't fast enough. But we got a 350, Honda. Huh? I was in Bible college, had a 350. Like, whoo, man, this thing goes 60 miles an hour. It's got that little whining sound. Every once in a while, you pull up to a light and you hear a motorcycle pull up next to you and it's going. Pow, 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 pow. Man, there's something wrong with this. I feel stupid. I want something bigger. All of a sudden, what I like that I'm happy about, I'm embarrassed over. Get rid of that thing. I got me a BSA 650. I was getting there now, man. I was starting to look, look the part. That wasn't big enough either. I got me a Honda Shadow. Y'all bought it for me. My 50th birthday, eight years ago. You did. The church bought it. Did you know that? I drove it around the sanctuary right in here. <laughs> Still got it. 1100 cc. But guess what? Every time I drive by the Harley shop, <laughs> I drove by it this morning. I did not say to you, I said, Tina, every time I drive by this place, something's pulling. Harley, the biggest, baddest motorcycle they make. I said, God, come on, give it to me, God. He said, you weren't happy with the moped? You weren't happy with the 90cc? You weren't happy with the 350, the 650? You weren't happy with the 1100? You're not going to be happy with this, so just save all the turmoil. I don't know what you're searching after to try to bring you peace. But I'll tell you what will bring you peace. Knowledge of God will bring you peace. It's not in your bottle. It's not in the sex that you might have with some chick on Friday night. It's not some experimentation. It's not some possession. And why are we searching so uh, intently in this world for something this world cannot give you? Only God can give it to you. Hallelujah. So I'm going to seek after God. Amen. I said, Amen. <laughs> Y'all are too much fun. See, I believe in the multiplication factor. The older I get, I don't have time for addition. Now, when I was young, two plus two was cool, but I like, you know, multiplication better. And that's exactly what 2 Peter chapter 1 says, verse 2. Grace and peace be 
multiply to you. Now wait a minute, let's read it together because you got to flow with me. Ready? Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's read it again. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Stop right there. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. How is grace and peace multiplied to you? The 99, 90cc, 350cc, the boss hog, the Harley Davidson, the pornography, the wine, the, wine, the beer, the, the new house. The... Now wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's read it again. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, if you're looking for peace this morning, honey, I just told you where you can find it. Praise God. I thought that was good. Psalm 23, 1 and 2 said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Isaiah 48, 17 and 18. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river. He said, oh, if you'd have just heeded my commandments, you'd have had a, you would have had a river of peace flowing in your life. Watch and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Have you ever tried to stop waves on the ocean? I remember that time we were in Oahu on the North Shore where they do those crazy surfing things with those 30, 40 foot waves. Have you ever seen that on television? Crazy. We were at Sunset Beach and these waves were breaking so hard and you stand and you're thinking, okay, it can't knock me over. And so you get in there and you say, come on, Wade. Then you pick yourself up off the beach and you go, whoo, all right, come on, Wade. And then you pick yourself up again. The power of a wave. He said, when you seek me and you obey my commandments, you'll have peace like a river that can cut through the Grand Canyon, can find its way. Nothing can stop it. And you'll be like the waves of the ocean. I said, oh, God, waves of the ocean. Man, those are powerful. They, they are strong. He said, that's how you'll be. That's how you'll be. You see, Psalm 119 and 165 tells us that it's time to get addicted. Look at your neighbor and say, are you addicted yet? Don't answer. What am I talking about? Great peace have those who love your law. And nothing causes them to stumble. When you get addicted to the Word of God, nothing causes you to stumble. Because you're so addicted to the Word, you can't help yourself. You've got to have the Word. When you get that Word, it's like, okay, you got trouble. You'd be like Job. Hey, Job, your house just fell down. That's all right. Hey, Job, you just lost all your camels. I got peace like the river. I got peace like... You know, it doesn't bother you. Because you hold on to something. You're addicted because you love the law of God. Psalm 23 and 4 says this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? You're with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We need to learn how to practice His presence. You know, peace will guard your heart and your mind. Peace is like a sentinel. It stands guard over your mind and over your heart. I believe the greatest producers of peace are people. Are you ready? Are people who have a zeal for God. I used to love that song. The zeal of God has consumed me. It burns in my soul, a driving force that cannot be quenched, a fire that cannot something stop or something like that. But ladies and gentlemen, it's the zeal of the Lord. And 
Now this week I've been praying. I said, God, let the zeal of the Lord return to the house of God. Let the zeal of the Lord return to the house of God. Let the zeal of the Lord return to the house of God. Let the zeal of the Lord return back to people that have had it one time and they're, they're, they're losing it. And the word of the Lord came prophetically this week and it said, the great falling away will not be from the new convert and the new and the generation, but it'll be for those that have known God and have served God. And suddenly their passion has been missing and they will fall away. Because you don't have peace anymore. (coughs) The zeal of God. The zeal of God is the producer of peace. You say, well, I need a a Bible verse for that, Pastor. Got one. (laughs) Are you ready? Numbers chapter 25, verses 10 to 12. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phineas, everybody say Phineas. Phineas. The son of Eleazar. Come on, come on, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest. Now watch, 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 watch. We're talking about now three generations. Aaron had the zeal of the Lord. He was popping for Jesus. And then, and then, and then we see uh, Eleazar. He was on fire for Jesus. There's no reason why your kids should grow cold in God. Tell them this. The reason why they've grown cold is because you have lost your zeal. You may say a lot of things about me, indict me, slander me, judge me, but there's one thing you can't do. That boy's lost his zeal for God. Baby, I'm going to have some zeal for Jesus. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. I'm going to be a fanatic. I'm going to cry out to God. Until the day they put me in a box or Jesus comes back again, I'm going to be in the face of God as a worshiper, hungry for Him, because I want my children to have the zeal of God. And I want my children's children to have the zeal of God. I'm not going to lay back on my laurels thinking that it's over. No, it's just begun. Jesus is in the house. Watch this, watch this. And He's turned back my wrath from the children of Israel. Why did He turn back the wrath? Because He was zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. I believe this generation should have been judged already. Or someone said God needs to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. But I'm telling you, there's something holding back the wrath of God in America. It's found here, and it's found there, and it's found everywhere. You'll find a people of God gathered. There's a few in the middle of the church that suddenly got the zeal of God on them and the passion of God in their spirit, and it holds back the wrath of God. (laughs) So I didn't consume the children of Israel in my zeal. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, I got to hurry. Can you imagine? Your zeal outdoes God's zeal. God said, I'm going to mess them up. I'm going to bust them up. I'm going to take them down. I'm going to destroy them. And now Phineas over here. God, I have zeal for you. I'm a worshiper. I speak the word. I got knowledge. I got peace like a river. I got waves, oh God, a peace that flood over my soul. And, and, and the zeal of God is pushing against a generation for destruction. And Phineas' zeal for, for God is pushing against the wrath of God. And Phineas won up over God. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> Whoa, man. And then look at the result. Say with me. Come on, read it. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. (laughs) The greatest producer of peace is passion for God. Come on, lift your hands up. Say, Jesus, I need passion. I need passion. I have passion. I have passion. 
Look at my zeal, Jesus. I'm hungry for you. Come on, just worship. You and I can't afford to be normal Christians. No, you can't be afford. You can't afford to be normal. Desire of my heart. Turn it up a little bit. You alone are my passion, my treasure. Many have needs for God, but too many lack zeal for God. To the ends of the earth I will follow Jesus. There's nothing that I will not do. lover nobody wants to be loved lovelessly you say you say I, I have a wife she doesn't really love me she doesn't really show that she loves me nobody wants to be loved like that and God doesn't want to be loved like that either and so if you want that this morning you can have it all it requires is a decision on your part Church, it's up to us. We can push back God's wrath on this generation. And we can allow time to fill up. We can allow more souls to find their way to Christ. It's up to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning. We come to you this morning. We pray. Ignite inside of us a passion and a fire that burns for you like never before. 
We ask God that you do a sovereign work in us this morning. Do something sovereign that's only from you. God, somehow, some way, catch on fire the heart that's cold against you this morning. Awaken, awaken the sleeper this morning that's among us, Lord. We pray this morning, God, for a fire to consume us. Lord, let fire come into our lives and do one of two things. Either destroy us or make us refined. Refine us in the fire, God. We ask you to do it this morning. We praise you today and we thank you, God, that you've not forsaken us. That you're here. That there is a remnant that exists among your church this morning that pushes back the wrath, judgment. Say, I need that this morning. I need that zeal this morning. Come on right there between you and God. Just make a decision. He's been waiting for you to make that decision. Make a decision that you won't. Stand on one side of the fence and then the other side of the fence. That you won't be a casual Christian. But you'll come all the way in. You'll be fully submerged. You'll die with Him. And you shall live with Him. Come on, make that decision right now, church. I'm going to die with you. And then I'm going to live with you. And my life from this day forward will be a life that testifies to your glory. And the works that you did, I shall do greater works. It is a promise of your word. It is a promise. So I grab a hold of it today and say sickness and disease must bow because I lay my hands upon the sick and they shall recover because we are the force of righteousness in the earth. You have ordained us. You have blessed us. You have anointed us, God. So we thank you this morning that your peace flows like a river for those that have you. We bless you and thank you this morning, Jesus. You're amazing. Just make a decision now, church. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Altar ministers, if you'll come forward right now. As the altar ministers are making their way forward, if you need prayer for anything, anything at all, they want to pray with you. We want to stand and agree with you this morning. Also, if you have any questions about membership, water baptism, baby dedications, men's Bible study, elder ministry, foundations of faith, we ask that you visit the table at the rear of the sanctuary that are lit, and our elders would like to meet with you there. Live with passion this week. If you made a decision for Christ, if you don't know Jesus, listen to me. Before you, everybody stop moving. Listen to me. If you don't know Jesus, if there's somebody in here that does not know Jesus, and you're standing next to them, and you are born again, don't let them leave. Make an appeal. Make an appeal. That's awkward, isn't it? But one day, one day, it'll be over. For two kids, about a mile away from here, it ended. So, right now just look to your neighbor left and right they don't know Christ and you know they don't know Christ just come on just make an appeal look don't leave here without being born again I know it's uncomfortable but it'll be more uncomfortable when you stand before Christ it will I promise Father we thank you for today we bless the people let your grace fall upon them live right love everybody pray hard let Jesus talk to you let Jesus talk through you this week God bless you as you go we see you Thursday night Be blessed.